Go ahead and open your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 1. We're talking about being ashamed of the gospel. And Lord, as we open your word, would you challenge us? Would you teach us? Would you fill us? Would you give us a burden for the things that really matter? In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Shamed of the gospel. Now, as one of your pastors, I don't want to ever embarrass you. Uh, I don't want to bring condemnation on you, but I do want to challenge you. Every time you open the scriptures, every time you pray, the Holy Spirit's job is to challenge us. So let's look at Romans 16, starting at verse number 14. 16, verse 14, and welcome to all you folks watching online. Verse 14, I'm under obligation. Would you say obligation? Both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. As for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Verse 16 is our key verse. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to who? To everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. But the righteous man shall live by faith. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. What do they do? Suppress the truth, the Spirit of God is saying to them, in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident, where? Within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so they are without excuse. I will ask a lot of questions today. I want you to think. I want you to stretch. I want to challenge you. First question is, what's the greatest thing someone ever did for you? Do you know? It shared the gospel with you. And this woman spoke in my home little church for four days and four nights. And the last night she was there, I gave my heart to the Lord. So the first night she came, I was a Methodist. When she left, I was a, a believer. I was a follower of Christ. Big difference. And she was 85. Do I have anybody in this room age 85 or under? Hold your hand up. You qualify for sharing the gospel. Okay? Next question. What's the greatest thing you can do for someone else. 
That would be to share the good news or the gospel with them. Now, the passages we've been through, Paul clearly stated a number of things that are important for us. He said, I'm under obligation. Everyone say obligation. Do you know what obligation means? The Greek word for obligation means I'm a debtor. Others have done for me, therefore I must do for others. I owe people who were good to me, who shared the gospel, who taught me. Therefore, I have a responsibility to pass it on to other people. And I just want to make us some thoughts about why would Paul say, I'm obligated? Why would he say, I owe? I think it's because of our Savior, Jesus Christ, saying people fall in one of two categories, not three, not four, Everybody you will ever meet at your school, your neighborhood, you get on a plane with 130 people on a plane. Everyone on that plane, they're either saved or they are lost. That's how Jesus sees people. And he came and died for all of us. Now, Uh, The church just, we forget the words of Christ and we get into pop theology and we listen to what people say, but we forget the exact words of Christ. And let me just go over some of them. He said, the son of man, or he, the reason he came was to seek and save. Repeat that please, to seek and save that which was lost. Now, I had been converted for two years, and the guy that mentored me was a soul winner. He was a man of prayer. He was only 26. He was a high school English teacher. He had a heart for missions. He could talk to anybody. He's the first guy I'd ever met that could open the Bible and make it talk anywhere. I'd never seen that. It was incredible to me. And so a lot of my dreams and goals slowly started dissipating. And I started thinking big thoughts. I wanted to build my life on things that lasted at least a thousand years to begin with. And so the night I was a lifeguard at Myrtle Beach and the night the Lord came to me, I didn't see him, but I knew he was in that cabin with me. And he spoke directly, not to my ear, but to my heart. And he called me to spend my life helping people find him. And he gave me this Bible verse. And he said, Steve, since I came to seek and save that which is lost, I want you to devote your life to seeking and saving that which I care about. And that date was June 10th. 1974. Now, our Savior said a lot of things, and these are kind of hard things, but we need to talk about them. We don't dodge hard things. Jesus said this, the gate is wide and the way is broad, leading where? To destruction. And his words, not my words, 
And there's many people on it. Where you live, the majority of people are on this path. And sadly, they don't even know it. So look at the diagram up there. Look at the diagram. Do you understand the significance? And he went on to say in the same passage, but the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to eternal life. See how narrow that gate is. And look at his words. There's few people comparatively that find it. Now that's concerning to me. Does it bother you? I remember in Shelby County, I went to see a man that had a drunk driving conviction. And when I went there, they put me in this cell with about 40 men. And they locked the door behind me and I was gonna share the gospel with my friend. And I ended up sharing the gospel with everybody, all the guys in there. And I just asked a question. How many of you guys in this room feel like if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven? I was surprised at what they said. All 40 of them raised their hand and said, yep, I'm going to heaven. I said, that's fascinating. What are you in here for? But a number of them prayed to receive Christ that day with me. Third thing Christ said. Now we quote John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. But we never quote verse 18. Verse 18 says, he who does not believe is judged. King James says, condemned already because they've not believed. Point number four. About half the funerals that I do, and I get invited to do a lot of funerals, and I, I, I accept the invitation normally, not because I like doing funerals, but because I want to share the gospel with people. And I've seen more lives changed at funerals than I have revival services because eternity is right in front of them. That's mom's body laying right there in the casket and she loved Jesus and one day you're going to take your last breath and often I will turn to Revelation 20 and I will talk about the Lamb's book of life. Now verse number 15 says this really really hard thing and I didn't say it. When a person dies, they stand before the great white throne, and that throne could be a hundred miles high. And books are open, and people are judged from the things written in the book. And then there's one book, greater than all of them, called the Lamb's Book of Life. And the scripture says, a search is made for that person's name. And if that person's name is not found in the book of life, Jesus said to John, they are cast into the lake of fire. You say, Steve, I don't like talking about this. Can I tell you the truth? I don't either. I don't think Jesus liked talking about it, but he did. And we have to also sometimes. Now, 
Hell is a real place. I'm kind of like John Wesley. John Wesley told his young preachers, don't preach on hell a lot because it will produce a hardness of heart. But I want you to know what Jesus said about it because it is a real place. It should motivate us to share the gospel. I was talking to a young man sometime back and he told me, well, I have a problem with hell. I said, you should have a problem with hell. I got a problem with hell. He said, I just think it's unjust for a loving God to send people there. I go, well, you don't understand hardly anything about this. One, hell was never designed for one human, never. It was designed for the super criminals, the devil and his angels that have done so much destruction to people's souls in this planet. It's for them. It is super max. But if people refuse and they tell God, bug off, they tell Jesus, I'm not interested. They say, leave me and go away. Their last words, they will hear before they go. They got to go somewhere. You only got two choices. You don't have three. Depart from me, I never knew you. One is not for you. Tell people, I don't want you to go there. I want to keep you out of there. I'll do anything to help you. Number two, it is a place of separation. Jesus told a true story about a man who had everything in life. This is not about riches. And he died and went to a real place. And he was separated from everything and every person. And he could see across this great chasm, this great gulf, Abraham in the next realm. And he said, Abraham, I'm concerned about my brothers. They're still alive. Would you please send somebody back from the dead to talk to my family, to warn them? And Abraham said, they've had, they've had the scriptures. They've had Moses all these years. And if they don't want to believe that, they're not going to believe a person or a thing back from the dead. And this chasm has been fixed. People tell me, well, when I die, especially men, rough old guys will tell me, I'm going to go to hell. I'm going to party with my friends. I said, you may go to hell, but you won't party with your friends. You won't see them. You will be by yourself. It is a place of torment. I blew a knee out in football camp when I was in high school. Man, that hurt really bad. I went this way, my leg went that way. And I'm laying in the dirt. I'm laying in the humid grass going, somebody shoot me and put me out of my misery. This is a place of misery. This is a place of regret. Four. It is for refusing the free gift of eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave the greatest treasure that whoever would believe would not go to this place but have eternal life. It's like, I, I helped a guy get a pardon one time from the governor so his record could be expunged. But it'd be like you sitting on death row with days to live 
And somebody in your family got a pardoner, got a pardon from either the governor or the president. And it was signed, sealed, and delivered to the prison. And you only had to do one thing. What is the one thing? Accept the pardon. And if a person does not accept the pardon, what else can the king of heaven do for you? And point number five, it is forever. You got lots of chances on this planet. And I never cut anybody off. I never close the door. I always have hope that one day they will call and say, I want to receive Christ. It happens. But once they die, they stand before the great white throne. The scripture says it's appointed for man to die. What? Once. And after that comes the judgment. So I want to ask you, what is the value of a single soul anywhere around the world? Can you put a price on it? Now, before I came to Asbury years ago, my last secular job, I worked for a newspaper. It was a good-sized newspaper. I was a circulation sales manager. Then I went to advertising and made lots of friends. There weren't a lot of Christians in my company. And, but I loved them and shared the gospel as I got a chance and some people came to Christ. But after I left, I had three months off before we moved to Kentucky. And one day I walked back into the advertising department. There were 20, 25 desks and uh, salespeople there. They were the backbone of the company. And I just went around to my friends, greeted them. They'd thrown a party for me when I left and one of them, as I got ready to walk out, said, Steve, uh, Gay, our friend, has been diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. And I didn't, he, she said, I don't know if you knew that. And I bet she would welcome a call from you. But she said, I was there the other day and because of the cancer, she wasn't thinking right. She wasn't communicating. She was in a tough place. And she, she was a Christian. She said, Steve, I don't know how long she's going to live. I said, I'll go this afternoon. So I'm sitting in front of her house, pray short prayer right in front of her house. And I'd say, Lord Jesus, I know how much you love gay. And I love her too. And I said, if you want to extend mercy, would you give her one more chance to find you and find forgiveness and find heaven. I just say, Lord, would her mind be clear? Would she be able to understand in Jesus' name? So I got out of my car, knocked on the door, and when I knocked on the door, I heard Gay's voice. She said, she said, who is it? And I said, Gay, it's Steve from the newspaper. She said, oh, Steve, come on in. I was stunned. So I walk into her living room, and there she is laying in her gown on a couch in the living room. And this attractive, once attractive woman, this vivacious, strong woman who was well fit. Man, she had just lost so much weight. Her little leg hung out of her gown. And it was just, I could not believe where her, her leg had so atrophied. On her little chest, she had these 
marks for radiation. And when I saw her, she said, Steve, it's so good to see you. Come talk to me. So I went over and I knelt beside the couch and I held her hand. And I didn't want to take too long because I didn't know how long she could focus. I told her about heaven. I told her about Jesus. And I told her how much Jesus loved her. And I said, would you like to go to heaven and would you like to receive Christ? And you know what she said? I sure would. So I led Gay in a sinner's prayer. I cried, she cried. I gave her a hug and I left and I said, I'll be back to see you. Two days later, I went back to see her. Her husband was there. He let me in and when I got there, she had a blank stare looking at the ceiling and she couldn't talk. But I know where Gay is today because she heard the gospel and received Christ. And when they asked me to do the funeral, other people at her funeral prayed to receive Christ too. Now here is what Paul said. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Are you ashamed of the gospel? Tough question. Are you ready? Another question. How many of you are not ashamed of Jesus? Hold your hand up. You're not ashamed of Jesus? Hold your hand up. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, if you're not ashamed, let me add a few words. Would you be apologetic for being a Christian? Would you be a little embarrassed if people found out at your school or your company or your neighborhood that you follow Jesus? Peter the Rock denied Jesus three times. And to be honest with you, I have denied Jesus too. It's been a long time. But there are a couple of times early on, I just chickened out. I didn't pull the trigger. I didn't bring up the topic because I was intimidated. I didn't think I knew what to say. Has anybody in this room ever felt horrible because you wanted to talk to someone about Christ, but you didn't do it? Hold your hand up because you were intimidated. Me too. And the reason we're intimidated is we don't know how. We're uncomfortable. We are reluctant. We are afraid or embarrassed. Well, what if I mess it up? What if they ask me a question? I don't know. They rarely ask questions like that, just almost never. Have you ever been hesitant? Have you ever just been flat out reluctant? Somebody you love is dying. Somebody you went to high school with has wrecked your life and you go to the reunions, but you never talk to them about the most important thing. Now this is a litmus test and you may think it's unfair and if it's on me, it's okay, okay? 
Well, Steve, how would I know if I'm indeed ashamed of the gospel? Did you lead anybody to Jesus last year? Have you ever led anybody to Jesus? Now, Paul says this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. What does gospel mean? Do you know? What does gospel mean? It means good news. And you can always smile. You can always be cheery. You can always know. You can help people whether they receive it or not because you always have good news for people. Do we have good news, yes or no? We really have good news for people all over the planet. The question is, are you willing to share it? Good news may not be good news if you're not willing to share it. Are you willing to learn how to share it? There's a comfort level with doing anything multiple times until you get comfortable with it. For the last 30 years, one of my jobs is to help people get comfortable sharing the gospel in their own style with people. Paul went on to say, it is the power of God. Would you repeat that, please? The power of God, which means it is not the power of man. You cannot change your heart. You cannot change the heart of your son. You cannot change a co-worker's heart. You do not have the ability to change their heart and change your life and change your circumstances. You can't do it. I can't do it. But the power of God can do it. And there's a word that is used in this text. It's called dunamis. Would you say dunamis, please? And it's where we get the word dynamite. It's a force. It's a force that changes the entire landscape for generations. And that word is used 120 times in the New Testament. Must be pretty important. Now, here's the wonderful thing about the gospel. The gospel can transform the most vile, wicked, destructive, wretch, and rascal. Here's one of them right here in front of you. And they can become a great lover of God. That's the power of the gospel. And can I testify? The guy that wrote Romans 1 said this in the book of Timothy. Read it please with me. Here is a saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save who? Who of whom I am the worst. 
If God can reach a destructive murderer destroying the church and make him an apostle, that is dunamis. So never give up on anybody. Never think anybody is beyond the touch of the power of the gospel. Because the Holy Spirit, he's the evangelist anyway. You and I just show up, we love people, we try to help people, but we're just the midwives. I can't birth a baby. He's the, he's the one that births children. He's the one that draws people. He's the one that opens hearts. I cannot do this. About 30 years ago, this is a true story, there was an Indian grad student who was so despondent over his lack of possibility for jobs, he decided he was going to end his life. So he's standing on a wooden chair. He's got a rope around his neck. He's going to kick the chair out from under himself and hang himself to death. And then he noticed something. The chair is wobbly. He's probably an engineer, would you guess? And he's thinking, I can't kill myself on a wobbly chair. That makes no sense to an engineer. What is wrong with this whole thing? And so he goes, I got to get down off of this because I could hurt myself and not kill myself and that would be worse. So he gets down off the wobbly chair, he gets on one knee, and he finds out there's a piece of paper under one of the legs of the chair. It is a gospel track stuck to the chair. Thank you, Jesus. I give out gospel tracks all the time because there's somebody on a wobbly chair. So he's on one knee. He gets the gospel track out. It's in Hindi. And the, the front message says, are you happy? <laughs> and he is completely disgusted. He is pitching a fit. He's in, looking at this thing in disbelief. and goes, how can anybody be happy if they're about to take their life? This makes no sense at all. So he, on one knee, he read the gospel track in five minutes. And he said, well, if I'm going to kill myself, I might as well just give my heart to Jesus. And he did. Three decades have gone by. Right after he received Christ, he joined a ministry in India called Every Home for Christ based out of Colorado Springs. And this young man is now about my age. And he has personally walked and hand-delivered a gospel tract to every person in 8,000 villages. Someone say, praise the Lord. Do you know why he did that? Because he's not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew and to the Greek. He felt obligated. But the Holy Spirit is the evangelist, but he always looks for partners. Somebody put that track there. Somebody was giving out those tracks. It's not hard to find a partner. A partner is somebody, he's like one beggar showing another beggar where the living bread is. That's all it takes. 
And he's looking for people like you. Just average folk who will say, here I am, Lord, use me to take the gospel to people that you care about. And people that do this, those simple partners, do you know what the word is? They're called something. How about ob obnoxious moron? There's many days I qualify for that. Or a theological sophisticate. I don't even know what that is. Or is he looking for a talented orator? No. Do you know what the word is? What is the biblical word for what he's looking for? A witness. That's all he's looking for. Do you know what a witness is in court? A witness is somebody who will stand up and share what they've heard. Who will share what they've seen. Who will share what they've experienced just truthfully from their own point of view. A witness. It is the power of God for salvation. Everyone say salvation. The Greek word for salvation is soteria. What is that, Steve? It's a beautiful word. It means deliverance from danger. You were drowning, and you're going down for the last count. There's people all around us that are drowning spiritually. And they can't find a beggar to tell them where the bread is. That word also means to rescue from peril. The greatest peril is not a house fire or not drowning in the Pacific. If we don't have revival in America, our country's in real trouble. About 94% of all American churches are in decline or stagnant. The gospel is not being shared very much by anybody. It's like a house fire. This is what the American church is like. There's a house fire directly across the street and there's Christians in the house across the street. They smell the smoke. They hear the sirens. They know the trucks have pulled up. They even hear crying and wailing. But all most Christians do in America, not in China, not in Iran, not in Vietnam, they just roll over and pull the covers over their faces. and let people perish because we Americans, we are busy. We are too busy. We have too much going on. Paul said to everyone, say everyone. Do you know what everyone means? It means what? It means every single one. It means anyone. Anytime, anywhere. That's what everyone means. 
Everyone has the same need that you have. They need God's love. They need God's forgiveness. They need God's pardon. And they all need it. Let me ask again, what is the value of one human soul? You and I possess the answer to their need. To everyone who believes. What do you mean, Steve, to everyone who believes? Believing is not head knowledge. Believing is heart encounter. The best word for belief means to trust. Everyone say the word trust. It means to embrace. It means to rest. This Philippian jailer, this career military guy, after all the prisoners were free in Philippi, he had this 16-inch gladius out. And he was about to disembowel himself and kill himself because he did not want to be tortured for letting all these prisoners escape. And Paul saw him about to kill himself. And Paul said, do yourself no harm. And the guy dropped the sword and said this amazing question. And they will. I've had people ask me, what do I need to do? Well, let me tell you. Believe, trust completely on the Lord Jesus Christ. You and it will impact your entire family like it did my family for generations. And the Spirit of God is whispering to, to people saying, I want to give you a gift, this gift of eternal life all around us. People are under conviction of the Holy Spirit. They're everywhere. You will not live a day without meeting people who are under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Years ago, before I came here, I was part of a group of pastors. We put together 30 churches and we had a crusade at a big basketball arena. Oh gosh, what county was that? It seated five, 6,000 people. And we saw a lot of people come to Christ every week. I'm up in the balcony. A lot of my people from my little Methodist church came. We, we led a lot of people to Christ. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me at the end of the service one night. They were doing Just As I Am, that Billy Graham song. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart so clear. He said, Steve, do you see Ricky down there? And I went, where? And I saw him. 50 feet in front of me, sitting with his wife. Ricky would come to church twice a year. Big old strapping, strong guy, 300 pounds. His wife was devout. He didn't care a thing about God. And he said, I want you to leave your seat, go down the steps, walk across the arena, come to the aisle where Ricky is, come behind him, step over those four people, come up behind Ricky, put your arm Grab his left arm, pull him to you, and say these words, Ricky, if you want to go forward, I'll go with you. I knew it was the Lord. And I told him, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm sorry. Ricky has no heart for you. He's not under conviction. I've been trying for seven years. He has no interest. We're going to mess this thing all up. I will embarrass myself, him, and you. Another verse goes by. 
the very same thing is downloaded to my heart. I start arguing with the Lord again. I'm telling you, Lord, he's not interested. I know better than you. He's my friend. He's not your friend. The third time, thump, I finally say, okay, okay, I surrender. I'll go down. I'll walk down the steps. I'll go to the aisle behind Ricky. I'll step over those three little old ladies and I'll grab him from behind and Ricky may punch me. He may cuss me and I'll pull him. But I'm telling you, it's not working. I'm telling you ahead of time. So I did that, come up behind him, grab him by the elbow. He looks at me and glares. I go, see there, Lord, I told you. I pull him and say, Ricky, if you want to go forward, I'll go with you. He straightens back up, looks straight ahead like this. And I'm standing there so embarrassed. I said, Lord, see there, you don't know what you're doing. It's all your fault. I'm a total fool. You're a fool. Ricky's mad. And I was just whining like Jonah at Nineveh. And I open my eyes and Ricky's gone. How do you lose a 300 pound guy? He was practically running down the aisle to get saved. I felt like a man of faith then. Wow, I really, I'm close to God, yeah. Still a knucklehead. So as I was interviewing, I said, Ricky, I opened Revelation 3.20. Have you heard the voice of the Lord knocking at the door of your heart? He said, I sure have, Steve. I said, how long? He said, seven years. I've been hearing that. Ricky gave his heart to the Lord. I mentored him for a year. He became a mighty servant of the living God till he went home to be with the Lord five years ago. They're all around us. They're hearing the knock. But Jesus can't find people that'll reach out. It's not about a head knowledge. It's about a heart experience. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, it's gotta go 18 inches from here to there because with the heart a person believes and with the mouth it becomes a reality. To the Jew first, worship team, would you come on up? To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. What's that about, Steve? Well, I want to make sure you understand. The Jews were and still are God's chosen people. They were given the mission because they had the book. It was a Jewish church, a Jewish gospel, a Jewish book, a Jewish Messiah, and they opened heaven for us Gentiles. They had the first responsibility to bring the gospel to us people. Deuteronomy says you are a chosen people. You are my personal treasure. Out of you, I will bless all the nations of the earth. Started with the Jewish folks, Abraham, David, Moses, 
Paul. Then it went to the rest of us Gentiles. And it was a Greek world because of this guy, Alexander the Great, in his military conquest, made Greek the trade language, Greek culture, Greek way of thinking, Greek art, Greek food. And that became Paul's mission field. Now, after my conversion, my spiritual father was a soul winner. And I prayed for two solid years, Jesus, I want to be a soul winner. I want to lead people to Christ. I want to be able to share the gospel with compassion, grace, and clarity with people. Years later, this man came into my life. He was a retired missionary from Vietnam. And in five days, he taught me to share the gospel where I got comfortable leading people to Christ. He taught me something called evangelism explosion that we do here. We're going to kick it off in about four weeks on Thursday nights. Some of us are going to do our very best job helping you get ready to lead anybody to Christ anywhere in the world at any time. And we'll do it with you. We'll show you how it's done. We'll go out and share with people night after night. And if you, there's not many places where you can learn to do this. I didn't learn it in seminary. I've never seen another church do it, but we do it here. If you'd like to do it with us, there's a clipboard down here. You can sign up. You can call the church office or you can call me and say, I want to take 12 weeks and I want you to train me so I can talk to anybody about Jesus. Let's close in prayer this part. If you would like to become a soul winner, if you'd like to get over your fear, If you'd like to grow in your people skills, then ask Jesus right now for a burden for souls. Right where you sit, ask him. last if you're here today or you're watching online and you've never had that heart experience you've never given your heart to Jesus you're not sure if you died today if you'd go to heaven why don't you pray with me right now a simple prayer saying Lord Jesus come into my heart today and save me, clean me, make me a new creation, make me your child, because today I give you my life.
In Jesus' name. Now, during this last song, worship team, if you'd come out. This is the most important time for you to do business with the Lord. Listen to whatever he says. Respond to him. There's people on the wings that will pray for you. You're welcome to come to the altar and pray by yourself. But receive from him today. coming up is uh, called The Goodness of God. And I love it because it doesn't matter what our circumstances are. Um, You can't hear me? I need Jeremy to turn me up. Am I on? That was not distracting at all. Um, This song is called The Goodness of God and and, um, you know, Bryn was sharing with us today her victorious story of just part of her walk with the Lord and just seeing her share her story and the joy in her face. Uh, she tasted some of the goodness of God. And some of our youth have really tasted in this last month the goodness of God. The goodness of God is for all of us. But, but kind of like what Steve was saying We want to take that goodness and we want to share it. And we want to give that goodness away. And there's so many ways that we can do that. And it doesn't matter what our circumstances are. That doesn't change God's goodness. So let's worship the Lord and celebrate his goodness.
was never the responsibility of just the church. It's the responsibility of every single follower who's, who's accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We should take great delight in sharing the greatest news of all, how Jesus Christ saved us, wrote our name in a book never to be erased. And here's what I've discovered. If you want to get close to God, better learn how to run errands for the Holy Spirit. And the errands that the Holy Spirit will always have you running is telling people about Jesus. So I pray for us all today that you'd send us on errands even when we leave this building. Redirect us to the people you want us to share Jesus with. To share his love. Share his grace. Share his truth. Share his life. I pray that we would be the best walking, talking Bibles 
that people will ever read. So give us those assignments. Reveal names, places, anytime, anywhere. And give us a willing spirit to always say yes. To never reject those promptings. Because we have the greatest news of all. The news of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. God bless you today. Thanks for being with us. Please leave quietly if you need any prayer for anything. There's people doing business with God today. People will be here to pray for you. God bless you. Thank you for joining us at Church of the Savior online today. We hope you are encouraged to pursue God and grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.